And welcome back to the Heather McCoy Show. Joining us on the line is Robert Larson. He comes to us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. Welcome to the show, Robert. Hey, Heather. Good to be with you. Good to be with you, too. So um, Breitbart, one of our favorite journalists of all times, he's dead, but his website continues. He has a story about, quote, illegal aliens being shipped from Texas to the Inland Empire. It's created quite a fury, but what's the real story? Yeah, it's uh, it does appear propagandistic and in order to sort of whip up that anti-immigrant sentiment that is uh, so uh, um, prevalent on the right. But yeah, so people were kind of freaking out, saying that there are, I guess, more than 47,000 miners who've been apprehended uh, at the Texas border, crossing in from Mexico, coming from several Latin American countries, actually. But anyway, so there's 47,000 of these kids that are being housed and before they can figure out what to do with them. And uh, so it's the, um, in Texas, the it's the Border Patrol in Texas who's apprehended them, and they're going to be turned over to ICE. But, you know, ICE has only so many facilities, and they do ship them out to other states, and they have shipped some to California in the past. And um, the, uh, but this thing that was out on Breitbart was that, oh, like thousands of them are going to be shipped out to Murrieta, California, here where I live. Yeah. Uh, of course, that's going to cause a lot of uh, agitation and be, oh, well, we're going to have all these illegal aliens running around Murrieta. Well, first of all, <laughs> the truth of the story is, is that the, uh, the, Authorities were considering sending them here because, they're, but there's a uh, facility where they would be housed. It's not like they're going to be just willy-nilly put out on the streets or anything like that. But that was a consideration. But it's not; it hasn't come to fruition. They haven't decided to actually do that. They just said it was one thing under consideration. And uh, so, you know, people were freaking out and calling the authorities in Murrieta, and all the authorities in Murrieta were like, either A, I don't know anything about this because it wasn't happening, or B, um, no, we've talked to them and they're not doing that, you know. And it's, it's and then the authorities in in Texas were saying, yeah, we would fully work this out with authorities in Murrieta or wherever before we did this, you know. It, you wouldn't just, you know, and, and the the irresponsible Breitbart pseudo journalists are putting this out as like, you know, hordes of illegal aliens are going to be roaming Murrieta. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, what's sad is the right has used immigration as kind of like a battering ram against people that are, quote, too liberal for their party. And that's one of the reasons why Eric Cantor lost last week. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, with the help of uh, Laura Ingram and uh, Mark Levin, you know, people were saying about how, how that... Uh, uh, what's his name, Brat, the guy that defeated Cantor, didn't, you know, spent like a, a 20th or less of the money that Cantor spent. But he had all this free advertising for Mark Levin and Laura Ingram and these other right-wingers who just were going on and on every day about how, you know, he was the second coming of Jesus. Yeah, I think The Daily Show mentioned how Eric Cantor's campaign spent more at steakhouses than um, his opponent spent on a, during his whole campaign. And I didn't know he got the free advertising from the right-wing world. Yeah, so it's like when you consider that, if you actually had to pay for all of that, he spent quite a bit of money if you had to pay for that much advertising. Yeah. You know, yeah. Basically free advertising. And, you know, right-wing radio just has free reign to propagandize whatever they want. 
and that that is sad. Um, and then the other thing too is like I don't know about the border patrol, but the ICE detention facilities—they're everywhere. There's one in Irvine. There's one in Santa Ana. Uh, there's one in the LA desert. And and so there's you know I mean I can't believe they wouldn't have a place in Texas to to keep these people. It's 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 sad that it's that our immigration system is woefully inadequate. Yeah, it's really sad. And yeah, I mean, I guess they're just overrun in Texas. And I mean, we need to find a better way to deal with all of this for sure. But, you know, they, they do sometimes ship them to other states. And and there, it, there was a consideration of doing that in this particular case, but it was not at all as, as Breitbart, Breitbart.com. Irresponsibly reported. Yeah. Well, the other thing, too, is like habeas corpus doesn't really apply to ICE detainees. So they can be there indefinitely. And I think that's one of the our major flaws with the Constitution is we need to have more judges and more, uh, you know, lawyers in that field so we can process, uh, you know, people that um, cross the border faster so they're not just sitting in detention for years on end. I, I think that's the, one of the real uh, just blights of the system. Yeah, this you know, being in detention for conceivably endlessly is is just it's horrible i mean and of course we also have the guantanamo situation where some people there are even actually innocent and they've been there for years and years yeah definitely um so in the town of Menifee, a charter school is trying to get started the school board wisely voted against it it takes up more money than a regular school um it's basically another way that private companies mooch off the largesse of the taxpayers but, you know, the residents of Menifee believe um, they've watched Waiting for Superman way too many times, and they believe this is the way forward, unfortunately. Yeah, I mean, it's a thing that, like, you and I can talk about the facts of the situation and the way when they make these comparisons of charter schools to non-charter schools, they're they're always a little bit um, sh- uh, <laughs> stretched. I mean, it, it, there's certain, the way they present it is not an accurate uh, parallel. Yeah. You know? makes the charter school look like so great and and it's really been propagandized well and and parents seem to really want this and love this and and don't realize that it's it's not more efficient it's costing the um taxpayers more money and uh, it says uh, people are making a lot of profit off of it and so yeah anyway they've got this uh, it's the menifee valley preparatory charter school they're trying to get set up in in the city of Menifee. Uh, they they already got something going in in Temecula, and it seems that the parents are mostly in favor of this. As we said, there's a lot of good propaganda out there for that, and uh, the, the actually the city council of Menifee is for it as well. But it was the uh, Menifee school board that voted it down, saying that it was uh, it was too costly, which is like, you know, it's, it's a deciding cost concerns. In questioning the actual need, so the um, the propagandists, those who stand to make money, and the people on the right are all seeming to for it. They keep pushing, and they're trying to work another angle now to get themselves into Menifee. And uh, it's uh, there was yeah, there was a, an opinion column, and it was the Press Enterprise, and in favor of the charter school by uh, Melissa Melendez. She's part of the California State Assembly. Um, doesn't say if she's Democrat or Republican, but most of the other people supporting it are Republicans. Well, a lot of times it really doesn't matter. They're neoliberal, and that's the reason they support it. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, so they're they're working on it and they're pushing it, and uh, it's just this thing of like, there's not a fair 
debate on the whole thing because the the facts are so skewed and in the the media when they report on it are uh, a lot of times reading from press releases presented to them by the pro-charter school people. And that just goes back to not having enough resources in the newsroom and just flat out laziness. Um, can you run by that name again for the, the name of the charter school company that's trying to start the school system in Menifee? Menifee Valley Preparatory. That sounds like some kind of like human zombie school where you just kind of get robot kids coming out of it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Valley Preparatory in, uh, in Stepford. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so in our disturbing portion of our news, that apparently a pit bull pup in Corona was severely burned over 65% of his body, but he survived. What is up with all these like animal abuse stories that come out of the Illinois Empire? Yeah, I don't know. It's it's really upsetting, and you know, it's. I mean, who 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 sets a dog on fire? I mean, yeah. I mean, it, well, actually, they're saying that he's got these horrible burns, but it's been long enough that they can't tell whether it was an actual fire burn or if it was a caustic chemical burn. Oh. The way is horrible and extremely painful. And, um, yeah, so the, the dog is kind of disfigured, but um, she's uh, improving and hopefully will get adopted. But it's just, you know, I, I just wonder what what is going on with people and certain portions of the Inland Empire just committing these horrific crimes. Oh, definitely. Uh, We have an update to the McStay family. Um, I didn't remember their name off the top of my head, but they're the family that was uh, from Fallbrook, and they found the entire family dead in the desert after they had gone missing for quite a while. A business partner has a book out, and he's trying to give some juicy details on the family. Um, I'm just wondering if the title is If I Did It, and was O.J. Simpson a contributor? Yeah, the title of his book is, uh, what is he calling it? Something about the light. Um, but um, yeah, so this the, the guy who wrote this book his, uh, was a business partner of Joseph McStay, who was the father uh, in this family of uh, four that were killed. Oh yeah, it's Afraid of the Light. And it's, it's, it's kind of a memoir where um, he, you know, he was a business partner, Joseph. He knew him quite well. He said he considered Joseph his best friend. And, uh, uh, you know, McStay confided in him, um, you know, everything, how how friends will do. And just uh, that he was pretty unhappy. His wife uh, was just had these crazy mood swings and in public she could be really nice but when she got him alone the husband joseph she would just be horribly verbally abusive and uh there was no intimacy they hadn't had sex in over a year so i mean none of this solves anything or or makes as if she was somehow criminal in this but it he's trying to put some things out there that might get other people thinking about it and help to to solve the situation and with the other thing that was really weird about it was the the husband joseph was um was very sick for months before the the disappearance and death had like a mystery illness he'd been to several doctors and they couldn't figure out what was wrong he was really really tired all the time and he just would spend hours and hours in bed in the day and uh he just kind of started getting paranoid thinking somebody was out to get him and he actually even considered the idea that the wife, Summer, was um, 
was trying to kill him and was poisoning him. Wow. And, yeah. And yeah, no, no evidence seemingly for that, but he started like not eating most of the food that she was making and eating out. And this is again, what the business partner was saying, that's going to come out in the uh, tell all memoir, afraid of the light will be out later in the year. So it's, uh, it'll be interesting to read the book and, uh, hopefully it's not just, um, um, exploiting the situation and that it actually is trying to shed some light on it. But he, he was, um, Merritt, the guy that wrote this book, uh, Chase Merritt was, uh, you know, the business partner, Joseph, and he was written, uh, Merritt was originally a person of interest. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. All those characteristics you named, uh, they sound like something that, you know, Columbo would raise an eyebrow and he would start following you around. Yeah. Well, they, they had been following him around for a long time and he he was never a suspect, but, you know, a person of interest just because he was the last person who talked to uh, McStay and he was his business partner and, you know, a lot of things, a little, little uh, cloudy. So um, apparently he came off the person of interest list and... Um, so either he's <laughs> trying to make sure he stays off it or he just really is trying to get the truth out. But um, it'll be interesting to see everything he has to say once the book is out. Yeah, I'm just wondering how many pages can possibly be, you know, how many pages can that book possibly be with it just being rumor and conjecture for what you're, from what it sounds like? Well, it sounds like he, he's talking about the history a lot. And oh, okay with mixed day and the family and yeah you know, and they've been business partners i'm sure there's a lot of anecdotes about things in their lives and um you know sometimes those books can be go on for a while i'm surprised the publisher would take it is it has the story been that big oh yeah the story's been really big oh okay cool but, um i uh, read uh the blurb about this forthcoming book uh, um on a uk newspaper Oh, wow. So this story has been talked about. I knew it had nationwide coverage, but apparently they're talking about it over in England. And uh, I mean, because if you think about it, it's, it's a pretty uh, um, sensational story. Oh, it is. Yeah. A nice white middle class family seeming to have a nice, happy life and they just suddenly disappear. And then, you know, a few years later, their bodies, even including two little kids, are found in the desert. That's that's pretty sensational. Oh, definitely. Um, Robert Larson, he brings the sensational. Uh, thanks for being on the show this week. You're quite welcome. And he comes to us from the other side of the Cleveland National Forest. And, of course, you are listening to The Heather McCoy Show. <laughs>